Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. Uh, thank you, Becky, for that kind introduction. Uh, as she said, I'm, I'm Pastor Nathan McKendry. I'm the student pastor at First Baptist Watauga, where Kevin was previously um, the student pastor. In fact, I'm one of those guys Kevin was faithful to uh, train up. Kevin has a habit of doing that, so be warned, all of you. Uh, he'll come for you. He'll disciple you. He'll train you. Uh, and so, and, and, and Kevin graciously invited me while he's on vacation to come in and preach for y'all. And uh, I hoped y'all wouldn't mind me beginning today's sermon with a story about Kevin. I thought you might. Good, okay. Well, I'll continue. Um, in fact, I want to tell you the story about how I, how I first met Kevin. And it was at First Baptist Wataga, and it was about a year after he had um, uh, joined the church. He was, uh, I think, just a young adult intern at the time in charge of the college ministries, and I was in seventh grade. Okay, and so I had just finished my, my seventh grade year. It was the summer right after that, which meant it was time to go to my very first youth camp. And so I was excited to go to youth camp, uh, but I'd only been in it a year. I did not know who Kevin was at this point because he was in a, kind of the college area, right? And so I didn't see him very much, um, and I was kind of a quieter kid, so I didn't talk to a, a lot of other kids either. So I get on the bus, and I've got two options on where to sit, okay? I can A, sit with my older sister, I threw that option out pretty quick. I could B, pick another seat, right, that's open, that no one else is at, and then hope and get lucky that somebody sits next to me that, like, I want to sit next to, right? And I chose that option, so I sit down at a window seat, and all of these students start entering the bus. Our, our youth group was fairly large at the time, so we had like a 40-passenger bus, and, and most everyone got through the bus. And one of the last people on, and I still didn't have a seatmate, the last people on gets on the bus. He looks directly at me, and I went, oh, no. And then he comes, and he sits next to me, and he says to me, hi, my name is Kevin, and my life has never been the same. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, I, I say that mostly jokingly, but, but of course, what would happen is, is, at first I thought, this is a total weirdo sitting next to me. <laughs> Later, I, I'd become friends with that total weirdo. And so as, as time went on, we ended up uh, hanging out much more. Uh, we went on several mission trips together. It seemed like every mission trip we went on at Wataga, he would also go, and we would end up like getting the same room assignment or something. So I don't know if he was doing that intentionally or not. But, but over time, we, we spent more time together. When he became the student pastor at First Baptist Wataga, he let me come on as, as the intern. Uh, and, and so he began to really uh, do some hands-on training with me then. And, and taught me very much. In fact, finally last summer when he came to be your pastor, that was when the door really opened for me at just the right time as I had graduated college to become a full-time student pastor at Wataga. And so in many ways, I owe my, my current position in life, my current job, to where the Lord was what the Lord was doing in Kevin's life. The Lord used Kevin. And so I look back at that moment of the bus and meeting Kevin for the first time as a life changing moment. And, and today, as, we, as we're going to continue in your series that you've been working through together, um, titled Rooted, 
Paul's going to do an interesting shift here. And so it was kind of exciting when I saw the, the passage. I've been, I've been keeping up with what with, with Kevin's been preaching uh, for y'all for the last several weeks in this series. Chapter 3 marks a turning point for Paul, okay? So he's talked a lot about this, this, some of this false gospel stuff, this, this false philosophy they've started to believe in the Colossian church, and he's been working against that, rehashing the gospel again, laying that foundation, talking about being rooted in Christ, right? He's talking a lot about that transformation, that transformation that we get from the gospel. But today, the passage begins to take a turn towards some more practical application. He gets, he, he's going to have several things over the next couple chapters here that, that he really hashes out just practically speaking, right? About what happens after that life-changing, transformative moment that we meet Christ, that Christ saves us. And so, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me, uh, or I believe it'll be up on the screen as well. But let me just read through those first 11 verses for you this morning, and then we'll kind of walk back through it. So read with me here in chapter 3. It says this, So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So what I like to do uh, typically, especially when I preach on Wednesday nights to the youth, I typically like to read through that passage and then just walk you back through it and, and point out some things. That's what we're going to do today. And so I want you to focus on those first four verses, right? One of the very first things Paul says in this chapter is to seek the things above. Right? He, he clarifies that. To seek the things above, that is where Christ is. To seek the things that are in the same place as Christ. And in order to seek the things of Christ, we must set our minds on the things of Christ, Okay, that's what, that's what he talks about here. To seek the things of Christ, we set our minds on the things of Christ. But how do we do that? Because I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to always control my, my mind, to always control my every thought and whim. In fact, there was a, the, a movie that came out just a couple of years ago. And, and although I'm, I'm kind of a movie buff, I enjoy movies a lot, enjoy talking about them a lot. I've never seen this one, but the concept was, was very intriguing. It's about these characters that live in a world where their every thought is projected above them. And so, so if you're walking by, you can see what someone's thinking, you can hear what someone's thinking, and to make matters worse, there is no women in the world. So it's just a bunch of men's thoughts projected. And I laughed when I saw that it was rated PG-13, because I thought, no way, no way. If it, any realistic way of looking at that concept, no one would want to watch that, right? So I don't know, I haven't tried it, maybe it's good, but we all know that Controlling our minds takes a lot of effort. There's a lot of just weird thoughts that, that we come up with. We, we know that if we try not to think about something, we think about that thing, right? We, we've heard of the, the whole don't think about a purple elephant or, or you know, don't. You, know, you sit kids in front of marshmallows. Don't eat the marshmallow. And 
poor kid's going to eat the marshmallow, you know? And so it, it's always a challenge not to think of something. But what Paul says here is to think of something. It's to think of the things of Christ, to think of the things above. That's always much easier to set your mind on something else, right? This is why we, we do things like scripture memory. That's not just for uh, kids' programs to, to memorize scripture. If you are careful to read God's word each day, if you're careful to memorize some scripture here and there, then that's what's going to be floating around in your mind, okay? And what's floating around in our mind often bubbles to the surface at some point, okay? I, I used to ask my dad once, why, why don't you let me, you know, listen to uh, music with, with bad words in them? There wasn't any particular song I wanted to listen to at the time, but that was a rule in our house, and I was curious about that rule. Why? Why can't I listen to, to songs with, with lots of bad language? And he simply said, Nathan, if I let you listen to all that music all the time, what do you think you're going to say when you stub your toe? I went, oh, Okay. I get it now, yeah. And so that's, that's the kind of, of concept we're working here when we're talking about our minds. If we fill our, our minds with toxic things, that is what's coming out of us when we stub our toe. Okay, so as a general rule, I would, I would encourage you to, to think of that, to think of what am I going to say when I stub my toe, all right? And that, that is a helpful litmus test because the thing that we fill our minds with will ultimately bubble out. And so if we follow Paul's advice here, we seek the things of Christ, we set our minds on the things of Christ, then ultimately when we're in a panicky situation or, a, or harm comes to us, it will be the things of Christ which bubble to the surface. This is part of what it means to be rooted in Christ, is to be seeking Christ. And why? Why should we seek these things? Paul says here, because you died. <laughs> he says, because we died in our life, is hidden with Christ. Now, the phrase hidden with Christ is actually uh, very interesting. Paul, Paul loves wordplay. And so in, in the original Greek here, uh, hidden with Christ, that's, a, that, that's an idiom, right? That, that common everyday people would use in the Greek world. Uh, they, they would talk about someone being hidden with the earth, right? So they talk about so-and-so who passed away last week and their, their body's hidden with the earth, right? It was a, a way of saying they're, they're dead, right? But Paul says you are hidden with Christ, Paul's telling us we're dead. He's saying you're dead and your life, your body, who you are is now hidden with Christ. It belongs to Christ. So as we strive to seek the things of Christ, we must be rooted in him. We must live like him. And ultimately that's because our lives are simply put over. Remember when you became a Christian, you surrendered that over. You owe Christ your life since he saved you. That's something that we just find that we do. And so Paul makes that clear. Not only here, he, he talks about that in other places as well, but here he kind of rehashes this idea that you are dead and only alive through Christ. It is only by Christ that you live. And so we're to seek the things of Christ, and therefore we've got to begin this, this process of setting our minds on Christ, which, al- which also means, right, that we've got to dump some stuff out of our lives. We've got to remove some things. That's why, you know, we're we're not just setting our minds on Christ, we're also removing the things in our lives that are not of Christ. And uh, and so here he spends several verses, right, in in these next several sections of verses 5 through 9, in fact, we kind of have this kind of 
reverse armor of God. Some of you will be aware of Ephesians, right? We have the whole armor of God passage. Or maybe in Galatians, you're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that Paul argues we should should put on, like the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, things like that, right? Or the fruit of the Spirit, which are, you know, those kind words that you have probably stapled in your home somewhere, posted like right above the bathroom mirror, something like that. And, And so in order to put on those behaviors, Paul talks here in Colossians about taking off some behaviors. This is like the anti-armor of God passage, which we, we never seem to see it like that, but I think it's exciting. There's some things to put away in order for the armor of God to ever fit right, okay? You're not going to, that, that armor of God, the fruit of the Spirit, none of that's going to work very well for you if you're still living in all of this, if you're still wearing all of these old sin patterns. Does that make sense? That's what we're, that's what we're looking at here. And so I'm... To illustrate this, I'm an athlete at heart. I ran cross country for about 10 years. In fact, the way that started was I, I tried in seventh grade, and I was a skinny little kid, y'all. And I, seventh grade, I tried to play football, okay? And some coach out there, in all of his wisdom, advised me to be an anchor, which is kind of like a, uh, a, a tight end. And so, but, but the idea is that I'm on that line, so they'd be like, you know, the defensive line people, you know, go, go over here to the weight room. You know, we're always being sent to the weight room. So I'm with all these big muscly guys, and I'm just this skinny guy. Well, one day at football practice, they, they had what, what we call conditioning, right? Where you, they, they just said run the field. And so we just ran around the field and all our pads, and anyone who was still standing at the end of that became the cross-country team, okay? I was one of those. So I became, I quit football, and I decided running is more my game. And so for 10 years, I ran. But I found something that I think is true of really any athletic activity. Okay, so do we have any athletes in the room or maybe former athletes? I hope. Cross country right here. My people. All right. Well, very good. Well, I want you to imagine that you're at a practice and it's a hot summer day. Maybe, maybe you run it over here. Maybe you've been asked to run five miles in 95 degrees weather. This is not uh, out of the question, right? This is totally possible, but you come back and you're soaked in sweat Maybe, maybe it was uh, raining if you're playing football and you're like tackling people on the ground. Maybe you got muddy because it rained the day before or something. But you're dirty and you're gross and you go home and you take a nice hot shower. And you get all cleaned up, you get out of the shower, you dry off, and then you put all of those dirty clothes right back on. Isn't that weird? That'd be a weird thing to do. Like, why would we ever do that? You, you would stink, and that would be obvious to the people around you. I promise. That would be obvious. You, you'd walk around, and you'd tell people, no, 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 I showered. Really, I did. And they'd say, no, you didn't. I don't believe you, because you reek, right? I've, I've had this conversation almost every time I do a D now or go to student camp, and I've got middle schoolers looking me in the face who say, yes, yes, I promise, I showered. And I'm like, I don't believe you. You know, I just don't. And, and part of that is because they've, I've learned that they think that a jacket is something that never needs to be washed. It's something you put on on the way out of the house, you hang up on the way out. It never makes it to the hamper, you know what I mean? And so maybe they did shower, but the jacket was not cleaned, and so they stink, right? See, we can't put on the same filthy stuff we took off. What was the point of the shower, right? What was the point. So when we look at being rooted in Christ and allowing Christ to transform our lives, if we put on the same old gross sinful behavior, we're not going to look like Christ. No one's going to think we look like Christ, right? It's time to start looking like Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. You need to dress yourself like Christ. Begin to imitate our Lord. 
And so we want to put away some of these sin issues. And I don't want to spend uh, too much time on these verses of the specific sin issues, but I do want to go over them because uh, in my studies for it this week, and I was looking at the, the words and what they originally meant especially, I found some interesting things. And so I want to just walk us through this a little bit. And so I, I've kind of split up into about five categories here, okay? So walk, walk through me with this. The first thing he says to put to death, all right, is sexual immorality and impurity, Okay. The word sexual immorality there is the Greek word porneia. You'll recognize it from the word porn, from the word pornography, right? It just means this the kind of evilness. It, it, it's kind of the, the literal term. But Paul uses it, in fact, we see it all throughout the New Testament, used for this broad sense of sexual immorality, right? Paul would say, no, get rid of pornography. Get rid of extramarital affairs. Get rid of sex before marriage. He would say, get rid of anything that's not within the sexual standard that God has provided for us, right? We are meant to look like Christ in that area as well. We are meant to be pure and holy like Christ. He goes on, he says, put to death lust, evil desire, and greed. Now, I don't love the translation here in the CSB with the word lust, because if you look at the original word, and other translations out there will call it passion. It's a little better. It still doesn't quite get what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is being controlled by your feelings, being controlled by your desires, your emotions, right? He says, put to death that way of life. We are not merely and purely emotional beings. We are, but we're not 100% that. We're more than that. We're better than just purely emotional. And so he says, don't be controlled by your every whim and desire. Don't be controlled by your feelings. Certainly don't be controlled by evil desires. And also put to death any greed, which is the desire for more. Right? Put to death the parts of you that simply can't be content with what God's given you. Because if you're never content with what God's giving you, you know, what, how are we going to move on in life and ever trust that the Lord's taking care of us? We'll constantly be thinking, no, Lord, you haven't taken care of me because I don't have this, this, or this, instead of paying attention to what we have been given. Okay, so he says put away these things. He also says put away anger and wrath. Okay, now he, he makes a distinction here between these two. One is kind of this slow anger, okay? This kind of, it builds towards resentment, towards hatred. It's kind of just this, this state of being, this anger. Don't be an angry person. He also says put away wrath, which is more like the violent, angry outburst that we get from anger, right? We, we get triggered into it, and we're all upset all of a sudden. He says put away both of those things, right? One's violent, one's poisonous. Put them both away. We don't need either. He says put away any malice, I love what this word means is literally just wickedness or evil. Put away evil. <laughs> like, that one seems pretty simple to me. Like, if you're going to be a Christian, I feel like that, you know, you worship the God of truth and goodness and love, maybe put away evil. That's a good idea. Generally speaking, put away evil. Uh, he also says to put away slander, filthy language, and deception. Okay? Now, slander, what this, what, one of the things this could mean is abusive language. Okay? It's a language that tears people down. In other passages, Paul will talk about speaking only to build others up. See, we're, we're not meant to destroy, to tear down, to abuse with our words or anything else, right? We're not meant to be abusive. We're not meant to, to speak filthy language, right? Because we're called to be pure. We're called to be like Christ. And we're certainly not called to deception because... We worship the way, the truth, and the life. We don't worship deception. And so we are not to be deceptive to each other. 
See, all of these things that, that we're looking at in each of these categories, it's all about uh, really this, this being self-disciplined, self-controlled, because a lot of these come quite naturally to us, right? That's why he says put away malice. We kind of think that's a no-brainer, except that it comes so naturally. We always want what's best for ourselves, never really what's best for others, right? But to seek to be rooted in Christ, we must, we must put all of those away. We have to put them to death, in fact. Because realistically, in verses 10 through 11, we'll see that we're being renewed towards the image of the creator. That's to say God. And actually what he's talking about there, this, this image of the creator, he's, he's referring to what, we, what y'all probably looked at several weeks ago in Colossians 1, the image of Christ. We get this whole uh, passage in, in Colossians 1 about the image of Christ. See, we're being renewed towards that. Right? Another word you could use for renew here is to renovate. Has anyone ever renovated a, a house or, or parts of their house maybe, updated anything? Well, my wife and I bought a house in February, okay? It was kind of a miracle that we were able to buy a house given the housing market anyway, but we, we were able to, to get this house and the, the couple, we knew them, they were members in our church and they're, they're wonderful enough to, to be willing to sell this to us instead of listing it at market, which we never would have been able to buy it, okay? Uh, and, and so this is a great, wonderful house that we bought, except that it, it's a few years old, right? This family was living there for 15 years. So there are some things that need some updating. So we've started this, this process of renovation here and there, taking on little projects. Um, almost always, the project ideas are my wife's. Okay, she's the creative person in this relationship. She's the one who uh, will tell us what we're going to do. She'll, she'll say, look, the, the cabinets, they need to be green. And I go, okay, how do we do that, right? Because apparently it's not just slapping paint on it. You actually got to take them off. You got to clean them. You got to sand them. You got to paint them. And it's all of this mess. So if you've ever had the privilege of changing your kitchen cabinets, um, you know my suffering. So this... You know, these are the kind of things that we do. But almost every time, Kirsten will come to me and she'll show me an image or two that we're working towards, okay, that is on her Pinterest board, right? That's what Pinterest is for. And so she'll, right, she'll show me these these Pinterest things, say, this is what we're aiming for. And I go, okay. And she'll tell me what we need and we'll go and we'll do that. But we're always working towards an image, okay? And our lives with Christ, as Christ is seeking to renew us and renovate our lives, we're getting rid of the old, we're setting our mind on Christ we're setting our minds on this image of Christ. We are seeking to pursue Christ. And that also means that we've got to get rid of the old stuff. One of the things that we just accomplished this last week, right, in our house was to get rid of all the yellow. Okay, so when we moved in, the, the former couple, they loved yellow. And so they had this giant wall painted yellow. The entryway was yellow. The whole back room painted yellow. And Kirsten walked in and she looked at the yellow and went, the yellow's got to go. And so we've been working towards getting rid of this slowly but surely. And so we've, we've accomplished changing it to our colors and removing all the yellow. But in the process of renovating this house, we've had to get rid of the yellow. It's, it's gone. We've put it away. The yellow's not coming back, right? Yeah, it's not coming back. <laughs> so in this process of Christ, as we're trying to seek to be like him, we're seeking this image of Christ. We are also removing things from our life. It's only natural, right? That's why I use these illustrations to get you to understand this is a natural process to become a Christian. I hope you don't think that becoming a Christian was a, like, punch your ticket, you're going to heaven kind of deal. It's a process. It's a following. It's a becoming into more like Christ. See, we are meant to look 
at Christ and allow him to renovate our lives, which means we must destroy our old lives, right? To look at the image of Christ and allow him to renovate us, that means we have to destroy much of who we once were. And that's hard to do. Change is hard. That's why Paul uses harsh language like death, because changing ourselves, allowing God to change us, change us and, and, and kind of chisel us into the people that he wants us to be, that is painful, it hurts, but in this case, it's, it's necessary. You can't just say, I'm not going to do these things anymore, right? That's, that's not how sin works. Sin is often habitual. It pervades your life. It finds its way back in if you try to, to let it go. So I work about five minutes away from my home. Okay, this new house we bought, we, we bought it, uh, it's in the community, and it's about five minutes away. In fact, Kevin is about the only person I know who has a shorter commute to work than I do, okay? And so it, it's a pretty nice commute. My wife, on the other hand, she has to drive about 45 minutes to an hour each day to her job, and she does not like that, do you? No, she does not like that. But Thursdays are a wonderful day because on Thursdays now, she gets to work from home. She loves that. She loves getting the extra two hours of her life back instead of those two hours on the, the freeway and Metroplex traffic because that's awful. And, uh, and I'm just warning you. Take my word for it. It's awful. And she, she loves Thursdays. So a couple weeks ago on a Thursday, she called me while I was at work, something she almost never does because the place where she normally works doesn't have service, okay? And, and when she works, she's kind of working, right? She's in that mode. She doesn't, it, it just goes from eight to four and she's just, there in the zone. And she calls me and I go, hey honey, what's up? And she goes, there's a wasp. I'm like, what? There's a wasp. It's in the kitchen. I'm, I'm hiding in the other room. It's flying around. I'm like, okay, so kill it. <laughs> she, she's like, we don't have anything to kill it with. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I, I in my, this is one of my better moments, I'd say in our marriage, where I said, would you like me to come deal with it? She says, would you? Okay. So I hang up. I drive five minutes home. Short commute. So I drive five minutes home. I walk in, and she just points over to the kitchen area where the, the, the wasp is flying around. So I walk over, and sure enough, there's a wasp. He's flying around, but he's flying around on this window. He's trying to, like, he's clearly trying to get out. I'm like, okay, well, he's not trying to harm you. He's just trying to get out. And, and I had this friend in college, y'all, who never killed bugs. I lived with him for, for a couple years because of, of being in college, being in the same apartment together. And I watched him. We'd find a spider or a wasp or something. His goal was cockroaches even. He would catch them, catch them, paper cup, catch it, and free it. And I just, I don't have the patience for that most of the time. But I looked at this wasp trying to get out. And this time only, I thought, I'll, I'll let you out. And so I opened the window and he flew out. And I went, perfect. Shut the window, put it back down walk towards the door, and I say, bye, honey, love you, and I go back to work, okay, and so I go back to work, and the next day, when I woke up, I go into the kitchen area, and I pull back our curtains to let the light in the room, and there he is. He found his way back into our home, back to the same window, and like a dummy trying to get out through this clear glass that he can't get through, and now, it may have been a different wasp, but to me, it was might as well the same one. I mean, he's in the same spot, right? I could name him at this point. He, he was there. And so I thought, that's enough. I can't simply remove uh, the, the window barrier from him and let him fly away. That's not going to be good enough. No, I've got to deal with this permanently, okay? So I got the old ancient tool. 
used from the beginning of time for killing things like this, the flip-flop. I found it in the living room, I picked it up, and I smeared his corpse all over that window, right? And I wiped it up, and I went to work for the day. I dealt with the problem permanently, right? He's not coming back uh, from that, or at least not the same wasp. Other wasps might find their way in, but it won't be that one. See, this process of becoming more like Christ requires us to deal with sin permanently. You can't just put it away and say, I won't do it again, right? Your body will insist, right? Your flesh will insist. You, you'll do it without even thinking about it, right? You'll just have these random angry outbursts all of a sudden and go, oh, I told people I wasn't going to do that anymore, you know? And so to really get rid of sin, you must get rid of it permanently. You must destroy it. You can't leave it in a place where you can put it back on. That sometimes creates creativity. It, it often requires accountability from friends to figure out ways of making sure that you can't go back to that sin because this whole process is about looking at Christ, allowing him to renovate our lives, putting on the things of Christ, but that means getting rid of the old. In order to be rooted in Christ, we must get rid of the old. And so here in just a minute, we're going to sing one last song, and I know that y'all are in the habit of, of getting an opportunity to respond. And so I want to be sensitive to that and allow that uh, as well this morning. And so, just, you know, if you catch nothing else today, catch that, that understanding right there, that to seek the things of Christ, like Paul's telling us to do, that means we have to set our minds on the things of Christ, which means we need to remove some other stuff from our mind. We need to remove sin from our lives for good. And that way the Lord will renovate our lives and make us look more like him. And so as we sing this one last song today, if you need to respond in any way, please feel free to do that. I'm going to be down here. I think we've got a deacon or two who are going to be down here as well. And so if you need to uh, just come up for prayer, we'll be here. If you need to uh, join the church, we'll be here. And like I said, a deacon will be here to talk with you more about that as well. Um, maybe as you've been listening to this sermon, reading this passage and seeing some of these things, Maybe you found that you're in that cycle. We almost always end up in that. In some kind of way, you keep returning to your old ways, to your old life, if you don't know Christ. But I encourage you to surrender that completely this morning. And the best way to do that is to, to confess that to another. Because where two people are working together, there's some better things to, to create boundaries in your life where you can remove that sin. So if you need to remove something for good today, feel free to come down here and simply surrender that. But I, I encourage you, don't just let it sit. Don't just file it away and try to forget about it and try not to think about it. You'll return to it. It's time to get rid of it for good. Destroy it. Allow Christ to renovate your life. And if you don't know Christ this morning, understand that any little process like that of getting rid of things in your life that you don't like, because all of those things are destructive, right? We know that. They all lead to the destruction of, of you, of your relationships with people. All of those things are so destructive. If you try to get rid of them without Christ, you're getting nowhere. I promise you that. You're getting nowhere. So if you simply need to make a confession for Christ this morning, if you need to just surrender your whole life completely to him because you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that this morning as well. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that. But I'm going to pray, and we'll sing this last song, and you just respond as you need to. Pray with me. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. 
If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.